Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to episode 16 of the Thistle Rugby Podcast, the rugby podcast formerly known as the only podcast that cares about Scottish rugby. How are you guys doing today? I am joined today by a slightly poorly Matt. Hi guys, how are we doing? Yeah, been a bit poorly, but you know, I've, I've come through for the important things. I was at the Scotland Wales game and I'm at this podcast, so you know, all's well that ends well. Matt actually got struck down after having um, one beer at the Scotland game and then he just uh, can't handle it anymore, so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Matt's with, uh, sorry, Alan's with us as well. Hi, good to be here. Um, so, really exciting episode for you guys today. We've literally just got off the line with um, former Scotland player, um, Johnny Beatty, who gave us some really great chat about the Scotland team. As great man. France, and some really good stories about uh, Jim Hamilton in particular. So, look out for those in the middle section of the pod. As always, you can follow us on uh, the ACAST podcast app on the iTunes store and on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. Um, our three issues for this week are kind of a bit funny. Obviously, we're going to be looking back at that amazing uh, win against Wales um, at the weekend. Um, and then the middle section of the pod is going to be with uh, Johnny Beatty. And then the third um, issue of today, we're going to be having a look at what has been a pretty crap three-week spell for Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, but first, let's have a look at some news. Josh Strauss is off to sale. Alan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we all knew it was coming. I think it was, what, sale, Toulouse, and I can't remember who Newcastle that, was the third one. Yeah, Newcastle in for him. Um, and I know sale have got quite a lot of money to be chucked around. And I guess unlike a lot of the England players, that their sort of issue maybe with going to sale is it sort of pulls you out of the England reckoning quite yeah, a lot. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Strauss doesn't have that issue. He's going to be at sale and he's still going to be in the Scotland squad. So yeah, um yeah. he said some he said some funny things on um, about leaving Glasgow though, didn't he? Yeah, he kind of just said that the only reason he kind of said the reason he re-signed the second time was obviously to get his residency. And he sort of said he he's enjoyed his time with the Warriors, but he sort of asked his agent to look into the premiership, which is fine. I don't it seems a bit of a strange way to sort of talk about it in a in a sort of a statement but um you know i don't think any of us he's, he's never kind of shirked his sort of like responsibilities on the pitch he's always sort of given 110 percent. so it's uh it'd be sad to see him go especially now he's gone into sort of the best form of his life yeah i know absolutely matt what did you think of that one I was just thinking that, um, you know, a few years ago we had a kind of South African Scottish number eight who moved to 
England in the form of David Denton. And you sort of look at him now and compare him to Strauss and it just couldn't be more different in terms of what they're offering to the team and how close they are to the to the Scotland fold. Um, so you'd think actually that Strauss deserves a t- sort of bath type move. Yeah, you'd think so. Did you tell Alan you were going to bring up um, Denton before you did? Yeah, I'm quite I'm far away from him so he doesn't try and knock me out. So I think he's I think he's all right. I'm so angry. So angry. Just <laughs> Bitter. the mention of Denton's name. Speaking of angry though, Stephen Jones, our beloved Stephen Jones of the Sunday Times, has won his 18th Rugby Writer of the Year um, award. Who's, who's hosting this? Is it the Stephen Jones Foundation for sort of slightly deranged rugby journalists? I've got no no idea, but he's won it, so we can't do anything about it now other than keep slagging him off. At least it'll probably go a bit more to his head. He'll get even more weird, and then he'll keep slagging us off. And, you know, there's no such thing as as bad press. He's he's just a a strange guy, but hey, we can't let that bother us too much. We've just chatted to Johnny Beattie. uh, We're doing our own thing. He can do his crazy uh, Lions predictions all he wants. Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to go like full mental on Twitter. Just like, because he's obviously doing something right. People like, 18 time winner. That's, that just doesn't happen. He's a provocateur. Like he hated and dogged like Brian O'Driscoll his whole career and said he was never good enough. And I saw that at the weekend it was sort of Lions watch and he put Stuart Hogg in the down column because he said he was too small with no sort of context or explanation. So, it's good that he keeps sort of coming up with these things. I think Hoggy's looking absolutely massive as well. I don't understand. He's bigger than Lee Happe, at least. So yeah, well, let's let's not waste our time on uh, any more of our time on uh, Stephen Jones. Let's look back at what was one of the best um, Scotland performances that we've seen in a long, long time. Alan, what did you make of the match? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, no, I think I, yeah, it was it was really, really good. I think um, I think in Scotland we've got uh, an issue where you can sort of lose by six points to France, and I, I I do this as well. You lose six points to France, and you think it's sort of an absolute disaster. And then when you go and win a game, you think it's sort of the best, sort of the greatest game of all time. I think uh, Scotland Wales are pretty evenly matched, and actually the big difference in that game was the fact that Scotland were just so clinical. I think Scotland had probably three chances in that game and we finished two and Tipperich got a turnover for the other one. Yeah. And I actually think probably Wales had about five or six chances and only managed to put away one. I know they had sort of two disallowed tries. Reese Webb nearly got passed up five metres from the line and they sort of duffed up that line out five metres up, five metres out. Um but no, I thought it was really, really good. I just thought it was a sort of professional, clinical second half. So not entirely like Scotland in any way. <laughs> yeah, like literally the complete opposite from Scotland. And I was just so happy that, you know, I think we, we were sort of me- me- meshing during the game and I was a bit worried in the first half because I just didn't think Finn Russell was handling the Welsh defence particularly well. They were sort of rushing up really, yeah. really quickly. And I think, I thought he was struggling with it, but... He, with his kicking and sort of general game management in the second half, I thought he really sort of stepped up to the plate. I thought it was obviously a big concern of ours. If you've been listening to the pod, you know that we were a little bit concerned about losing Laidlaw. I, I would argue, I don't think we missed Laidlaw at all. Price was looking, the first 10 minutes, he took it into contact a couple of times and really mm. risked getting turned over. But after that, I thought he was really, um, was really strong. Yeah, I thought he was. He had a, a solid game. I didn't think he was sort of um, exceptional. Um, maybe that's because he was faced with Reese Webb, who I thought had a had a really excellent game and is sort of is playing himself into Lions contention. No, I thought he did well. I thought he had some nice breaks, and I actually thought so. The the forgotten man of scrum half play in Scotland, um, Henry Pergos, when he came on at a pretty critical juncture in the match, he really controlled things, which I think is what he he brings to the table compared to Price. Um, slowed things down, he sort of um, knew what sort of tempo to play, um, and I thought that was really impressive. Um, what sort of was most impressive about me overall, though, was just the the mental edge, the mentality, you know, to come from, from being absolutely sort of humped in the first half um, and then score 20 unanswered points in the second half. The turnaround's absolutely incredible. I think the lesser Scotland teams would have... Um, would have shrunk from that um, and once again I think Finn was sort of the, the totem behind that um, he was sort of the metronome that kept the team ticking um, he just kept his calm just in a, in a really impressive manner um, just kept doing what he was doing in terms of putting his runs into the holes um, you know sort of probing the half gaps and it, it came good in the end 
Yeah, I thought I thought Finn was absolutely excellent, and I want to talk about another probably less talked about man, Alex Dunbar. I think turned in another absolutely awesome performance. He is so solid in defence. Um, I just think he's really, really um, coming onto his game. Um, but he doesn't seem to be getting mentioned in the same way that your sort of your hogs and your fins and your vissers certainly were this weekend. Um, I think he's a bit of an unsung hero. He is the person with the most turnovers in the whole Six Nations. Yeah, I mean, in defence, he's been an absolute beast. He's he's really sort of stood out. I I don't th- he hasn't done that much in attack, and I don't know whether he, he to be honest, he's not had that much opportunity with ball in hand. It seems to be that the majority of our play is either sort of off nine or off ten or or really sort of far out wide. Um, so it'd be good to see sort of especially well with England coming up that he sort of maintains that sort of defensive performance and then against Italy what he can sort of do with um, ball in hand but yeah the, what, the, I mean I think the guy who really stood out is Hamish Watson oh my god yeah he's, he's obviously John Hardy went off I think about 28th minute and Hamish Watson I mean I've said I've got man crush I've got a massive man crush on the big man he is unbelievable um, yeah, I just thought he. I generally think he, he could be sort of a lines bolter. He's really sort of stepped up to the plate. I, I think he could be, and I think if you compare him to, I mean, Tipperick and Warburton owned that breakdown in the first half. Absolutely mm. owned it, and then in the second half, it was just it was all Watson. Like turnovers, disrupting. Like his yards after contact, we talked about a lot. Like when he carries, he's just like the full package. I think he's absolutely brilliant, and I would hope that he is going to be. Considered in that in that sort of uh, in that Lions vein, because other than Warburton, who's really sort of out there as your, your standout seven? I suppose the Irish guys. Yeah, well, I think so. I think Watson's very different from a lot of the people who are being mentioned in dispatches. Like you know, having Sean O'Brien at six or seven, I suppose it gives you that size. But they're all quite similar players in terms of being sort of bigger ball carriers who are converted to sixes or sevens. Whereas I think Watson, he can give you the ball carrying, but at the same time, he's there to sort of make a, a nuisance of himself at the breakdown. Um, so I think he gives you that option. Whether he will go or not, I don't know, but he's, he's certainly playing himself into that way. Um, I think another guy we mentioned, we haven't talked about yet, is, is Tim Visser. You know, much, much maligned in, in many quarters, but yeah, the Schwiss um, had an absolute blinder. I think he actually recovered well from sort of being dumped on his head a couple of times and being held up in the tackle. Um, but I thought he played... You know, finished well and played really well in total. So, um, yeah, good to see. Yeah, I think they sort of described in the rugby pod that Tim Viss has got hands like dildos. <laughs> thought it was quite a... <laughs> um, yeah, and actually, and you can even see when he goes up for the ball, he's not, like, natural about it. It's very sort of... Um, I don't know, he, he doesn't look like he's going to catch the ball. He's not like Tommy Seymour, who's got so much confidence and everything in that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah... That little step when he beat George North in the five metre channel was v sexy. It was absolutely amazing. But God, George North just looks all at sea. He just doesn't know, like, he, I don't know if it's, the, if it's the concussions or lack of game time or whatever, but he just does not look like the player he uh, we know he is. I think he's got. I think it's lack of game time. He just looks off match pace. He keeps getting little injuries and keeps getting sort of rushed back, and he obviously just doesn't feel like hundred percent comfortable out there. I mean, he, George North is just so class when he's on form. Like, I, I still think he will play for the Lions because I think he is probably the only winger when he's on form in the, sort of, in the Northern Hemisphere that could really do massive damage to that New Zealand team. Um, but yeah, Tim Bovis had, had him wrapped up all day and then Hogg's little uh, try. 18 hands like that since the Scottish Cup final in 06, I've heard. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, Hog, Hog again, like, I don't know if we need to wait, like talk about him that much. You know, he was just, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, he's causing every single defence he comes up against the same problems because he is just running at space and he's causing people so much problem because he's so quick. Um, he looked solid enough under the high ball. Um, it was great to see half penny spill one um, under absolutely no pressure. I think that was a pretty good, uh, pretty big turning point uh, for the match. As well, I thought John Barkley again just playing mm. absolutely out of his skin. I thought he did a great job as um, as skipper in that in that back row. The Gray brothers again turning in solid yeah. solid shifts. You know, like really high tackle rate, carry rate. It's just and uh, you'll hear guys when we talk about uh, talk to 
to Johnny Beatty later on, his opinion of Richie Gray and just like the guy's work ethic is really, um, it seems that he's just, he's just a beast. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty much going through the whole team, but I think that we probably have to doff our cap to uh, Ryan Wilson because we've given him, or I certainly have given him a lot of shit in the past because I think to be fair, when he came on the scene, he was a bit lightweight. Um, he was a bit erratic. He sort of liked to give away a pen or a yellow card, but he seems to be one of the first names in the team sheet now, whether it's at six or, or eight. Um, yeah. He's really one of Vern's trusted lieutenants. And he's been playing really, really well. He's, he's physical. Um, he's a pretty good link man. He's got good hands. Um, he makes his tackles really well. Um, so he's actually, I think he provides a lot of, of balance to, to the back row. Um, so yeah, it's all, all good. One thing that I think is still... Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. I don't think that any of the issues from the France game have been sort of like completely resolved. So the scrum was still an issue in part. Yeah, there, there, was, there, were, there, there was a few parts where the scrum was getting pushed back and we have said that Wales probably have like the weakest front row in the Six Nations. Yeah, agreed with that. Um, and I still think maybe it's more in the first half. We're still not properly dominating that contact area. I know against France we got... I think we really sort of struggled against sort of just the size of their pack, but I still felt that at, at the breakdown we were still getting a little bit dominated in certain sections. Um, I remember, I think, was it Johnny Gray when he ran into Win Jones and Sam Warburton? Absolutely, sort of crushed them. And I, I'm, I'm just a bit, I'm still just a bit worried going into this England game that the scrum is still looking a bit shaky. I'm just not sure that around. Oh, kind of like off off the ruck with people like Haskell, Nathan Hughes, um, Launchbury, Courtney Laws, just big, big, powerful guys. Just whether we're going to have enough to be able to handle that. Well, yeah, I I do agree with those points. I suppose I think in the first half we we tried to go a bit through the brick wall at times, and then I think to be fair, we actually changed our tactics slightly, so we're attacking more in the wide channels and more so one out runners, and that's what we have to do against England. We can't take them on, you know, sort of head up um, on, on front, you know. So um, it's definitely a worry, but I think that we have to be really smart tactically. Um, but yeah, I think that, that you're right. The scrum's not been resolved. And although England didn't play that well, I just still see the likes of Launchbury and, and Laws and Haskell, just these big units, which we sort of struggle with. Yeah, I think we'll, um, obviously we'll get into England next week when we do a little bit of a preview uh, a preview pod. Anything else anyone wants to touch on on the Wales game? Yeah, so I had my usual table in Opal on Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah. Lads in afterwards? Yeah, sitting there. Ball of off. You know, I'm not, I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> and yeah, Stuart Hogg. There's a crowd surfing on the dance floor. Um, I did see that. Tim, it was, t- on, it was on Instagram. Max <laughs> Instagram, wasn't it? Oh, mate, you're on the r- wrong club. He was in Why Not. Whole Scotland team were in Why Not. That's what it was. Yeah, what? <laughs> I well, I saw someone in Oakland. <laughs> but you look like Stuart Hogg. Yeah, someone who looked like Stuart Hogg. Um, Interesting. Well, there we go. I look I like an asshole. They were out until sort of six six in the morning. Big big sash for the boys after it. Well deserved, I say. No fair play. So uh, two weeks off. You know, up in Murrayfield, team bonding and all. So yeah, got to be done. I saw they were having a couple of bottles of tents in the change room afterwards. The, 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 the God's juice, so it's fine. Um, well, great. And as we say, lads, we've just been, um, we've just been on the line with Johnny Beatty um, from Bayonne. Um, really, really interesting chat, hearing about his life in, uh, in France and some good stories about some familiar Scottish names. So uh, enjoy it. All right, guys. Um, so we're joined by, um, by Johnny Beatty. Johnny, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure. No, not at all. Thanks a lot for uh, for joining us. How are things um, down in the south of France? Enjoying it? 
Um, it's actually been quite tough um, this year, to be honest. Uh, at Bayon, the, the league is not going um, the greatest. We're currently rock bottom of the top 14. Um, so the rugby aside, life is fantastic. The sun shines. It's a relaxed part of the world, uh, which my family and I are really enjoying. Um, but the rugby is a little bit of work to do, unfortunately. That is a bit of a shame. But I suppose up here, um, the Scotland team are doing pretty well. What did you uh, What did you think of the Wales game? Did you catch it at the weekend? I did, yeah. Sat in front of the telly and, and cheered all my mates on, and just incredibly proud of them. The, the start that they made in the tournament, and now, um, well, the, the ball's sort of firmly in their court. It's now what they want to do, what they want to go on and achieve. Um, and I'm just so chuffed they are where they are already, um, and hopefully they can push on and do something quite spectacular down in England. Yeah, well, I think so. I, we were saying earlier, we think it's probably the best chance they've got to sort of go to Twickenham and sort of at least the last sort of ten years in terms of the squad. Uh, to, to get a result down there. And I think England have actually been not that good in their in their three wins. They've sort of had to work pretty hard to eke them out. They've not been as strong as you might have thought they were going to be based on the autumn performances. Yeah, I think if you, if you put it in the context of what both teams are working towards, you know, this is the first chance Scotland will have had to go for a triple crown in I don't know how many years. Um, the last time Scotland won at Twickenham, my dad was playing, to put it in context. It was 1983. <laughs> so 1983 was the last time we managed to get a win down there. Um, and so, and being part of the squads that have gone down there in the past, you know, we've maybe had some players, we've maybe had a coaching room that was good in some areas, not good in the others. But, you know, being part of the squad the past few years, I can hand on heart say that without a doubt, this is the, the best sort of crop of young guys that you've seen come through that have sort of matured, like, a lot of them have got 20, 25, 30 caps, plus they've got a world-class coaching group behind them. So it's, uh, without doubt for me, the best chance that we've had in the past 30 years to go down and get a win. And I'm just so excited to see you know, what we can what we can stick together if we work hard, if they stick to what Vern's got game plan-wise. Um, you know, we can shock a few people and hopefully hopefully get a little win. Is it, you know, obviously Vern's leaving at the end of the year. You've, You've had quite a few coaches. I think was it Frank Haddon when you first came in the Scotland squad. What what is yep, Brian uh, actually Williams, like? Yeah, yep. Frank Haddon, Matt Williams. I think were the first ones I had way back when. Um, but you know, you've had some coaching groups with quality, others mixed bags. Some <laughs> defense been good, attacks not been good. Some management groups have you know it's all been a mix. But this. You know, you look at Vern, the sort of direction, his leadership, the ship that he likes to run. You marry that with Matt Taylor, the defence coach, who again is a world-class operator, has done amazing things with Glasgow and the national team in the past four or five years. And you stick that together with, you know, the most exciting backline we've had in, you know, probably since 1999, if you look back at that group and what they achieved with Gregor Townsend. And under his guidance, what he's getting out of his blokes at Glasgow Warriors, for me, it's without a doubt the most exciting group of people that we've had working and wearing a, a Scottish a Scottish thistle in, in you know many, many years. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it, it took quite a few people to warm to Vern Cotter, but they certainly have now, which sort of begs the question of why exactly he's, he's leaving. Do you think it's a, a bit of a funny one? What, what do you make of it? Um... I think that Scottish rugby were extremely lucky to get Vern to come in the first place. Um, and if you examine the job that he's done, he's done phenomenally well. Um, I think then the, you have to look at strategically how the SRU wanted to play it. They probably wanted a Scottish coach to come in. They probably also felt with Gregor coming to the end of his contract, if they didn't promote him, the national job he could fall out of Scottish rugby and move to England or France he's a French speaker as well with a good reputation and they might lose him forever and to keep a guy like Gregor a young Scottish bloke who's doing a great job with Glasgow they maybe had to offer him the national job because maybe Glasgow wasn't enough anymore I don't know um, but you know if you put yourself in the the CEO's shoes at Scottish rugby you'd say look we want to keep a guy like Gregor we want to develop this guy that's done an amazing job with Glasgow, we want to keep this talent and we want to look after him. So for me, I think it's probably become a choice between Gregor and Vern. And although Vern has done the most incredible job, I think a coach of Scottish rugby has done for the past 10, 15 years, it, um, it hasn't been enough because they need to look after a guy from, um, from, uh, from Scotland. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we're we're all uh, obviously huge fans of what Gregor Townsend's done. I think with Glasgow having a guy like Dave Rennie coming in as well, I mean, that is proper top, like world-class caliber coaching coming to Scotland. So I think that's a huge improvement that we've noticed as sort of uh, as just sort of followers of the game. Um, I mean, you've obviously, you've been out of, uh, out of Scotland um, club-wise since 2012, is that right? Yep, I moved over to Montpellier in 2012. Yeah. How, have you, how have you found, obviously, the top 14 gets, it gets a pretty bad write-up over here as a sort of a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a jolly for yeah. um, people towards the end of their careers yeah. and, you know, stuff like the Ali Williams stuff and, you know, the Dan Carter drink driving, it doesn't do an awful lot for the image, but what's your experience well, been of it? Do you, do you think it's a good league? It's been a mixed bag, if I'm completely honest. If you look at the condition physically of players in the Pro 12 and the English Premiership versus the Top 14, there's absolutely no contest. Um, in the sort of discipline, working culture, environment side as well, again, there's no contest. In the sort of day-to-day work environment, but then you get to weekends and people are extremely proud. They're playing for big towns with big backing and big money. Um, and they go hard at the weekend, so it's hard to judge after being part of both sides. Um, I can sort of see the sort of pluses and minuses of both. I really enjoyed my eight years at Glasgow Warriors. It was a great experience with an amazing bunch of blokes with a phenomenal work ethic, supported by great supporters as well. But then on the other side, I felt like I had to leave, had to experience something different. Yeah. And that, I come to the end of my three years in Bayonne, that'll have been eight years in Glasgow and eight years in France. Um, and I've really, really enjoyed both experiences. France has been, from a developmental perspective as a bloke um, and as a person, it's, it's worked wonders for me coming and spreading my wings and getting away from Glasgow. Um, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to getting home um, and supporting the, the Warriors as well when I get home and retire. So... Yeah, but both sides have their pluses and minuses, and I've enjoyed the experiences of both. Um, but I can see why the top 14 does get a bad rap when you see the condition of players, when you see maybe how certain. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Turgid games can be. Um, you understand why. Um, so yeah, that would be my, uh, my two pence yeah, worth. Yeah, sure. I mean, was that sort of tribalism um, a bit of a shock? Because I suppose... This kind of Edinburgh Glasgow rivalry is there, but the way the professional teams are gone, it's a bit manufactured. Is that something that you sort of really enjoyed as being part of France? It was a strange one because when I, I have to say, things have changed back home because when I left Glasgow, we were playing at Fir Hill in front of nobody. Yeah. Um, and we hadn't really captured the imagination of the Glaswegian public. And you can see now with the sort of the development of a base in Scotland, uh, the fantastic brand of rugby that Gregor's got the boys playing, it's attracted a crowd. Yeah. And Glasgow now really is a difficult place to go and play rugby because there's an amazing support, there's an amazing team, but there's also a tremendous support and it's intimidating to go to go and play there. Um, and I would say what they had already in France when I got here, which I could not believe, was they had that in every town. Um, and Glasgow's maybe taking its time to develop it, and I feel very proud that they now have it. Um, but France, it was here already because they've had professional leagues, because they've, these teams have had the money and they've had backing for so many years. It's kind of already been set, and when I arrived, I was really surprised um, at how strong the links were with public, how big crowds were, and how passionate they were. 
because it's like a carnival you get here and it's a carnival atmosphere that's that's how i can describe it it's like you're at a circus but there's a sort of game of rugby going on at the side it's really quite weird yeah i guess um, the, the thing with glasgow is it's because it's such like a football dominated city but then you get to obviously montpellier like montpellier is not that big is it um and rugby well, is but they've also got a pretty big football team um yeah. at the same time they've got a Montpellier have got a professional football team. They supply half the Arsenal team. They've got a stadium with 40,000 people. They were in the Champions League two, three years ago. So, you know, everyone's competing. Um, and I think that was kind of the myth that Glasgow, because it was so football, it couldn't be debunked and we couldn't have supporters. But I think that's what makes what Glasgow Warriors have achieved with their gro- the growth of fan base and um, with their development of support and the rugby that they're playing. They're managing to get six, 7,000 8,000 people in for games for big European games are getting more on a regular basis and that's what I think makes it even more impressive yeah they've kind of said look this was what we thought it was too football it was never possible but they've done it and that's why I, I feel really proud of guys like Ali Kellick who's now working upstairs at Glasgow for all the effort that they put in along with the backroom staff at the time um, and, and what they've developed now Edinburgh have now got to follow and do the same yeah, absolutely. It seems the SIU are maybe sort of turning their attention to Edinburgh a bit. I think the move to Marseille has been really good. Um, Cockerell, I think, will do a good job. Um, so, again, I think it's a yeah. bit, bit of a step up in terms of coaching talent in Scotland. I want to talk a little bit more just about, you know, Scots that have gone to France. You've spent your time with, uh, obviously, Jim Hamilton in Montpellier, and then was it Ma- Max Evans and Richie Gray would have been at um, cast with you as well. What's, uh, yeah. how, is the, how do the Scots get on in France uh, in general? get sunburned <laughs> but what about what about big jim is he uh was he did he pick up the language quickly was he quick to get involved with the locals no he was shocking he was rubbish but <laughs> you know he was he was great value they appreciated that he tried like a bear even though he was useless <laughs> and he no he, he was a great guy they, they all they all were jim was hilarious like he lived four doors down from us, his wife and his two kids uh, lived four doors down from us in Montpellier, and it was like, you know, my wall was maybe six foot five high, and like every day I would see him walk by seven foot tall and peer over <laughs> and come in for a, a glass of whatever. It was just, it was great to have them there. He's a, a quality bloke, like yeah. a laugh a minute, um, and makes things a little bit easier in, in difficult moments or when things aren't going well. You can turn to a guy like him. Mm-hmm. And it seems that um, seems that Richie Gray's move to uh, to Toulouse has really sort of uh, really improved his game. He's come back and he's absolutely he's firing on all cylinders in the Six Nations, and he's been. I think it's the best he's played in a long, long time. I mean, the guy's an absolute freak. Um, <laughs> I don't, but it's true. I don't know how he does it. Him and his brother are the exact same. And they've just been born with this ridiculous work ethic, this ridiculous drive. And I, I honestly don't know where he gets it from. And his little brother's the exact same. But, you know, we were in cast together and nobody gave a monkeys about weights or training or, you know, they, they just don't care. They, they're just not wired the same way that yeah. sort of Brit are. Or, and he absolutely beasted himself every single day. I tried to follow him as best I could, but I couldn't. Um, and again, an amazing bloke to have. I was very lucky to be yeah. at a club in France with a guy like him and with, with Maxie Evans as well. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely um, class. I mean, Richie's up at what? like he's almost, I think he's at like 60 Scotland caps now. I mean, for a guy that young to have so much experience is just, it's just absolutely phenomenal. I know, but it was clear when he was 21 that well, 20. It was clear at age 20 that that was the way it was going to go. Um, and he's a lovely bloke as well, which is painful to say, but he, <laughs> yes, he's just a good bloke. He works his nuts off. Does he get on um, the Does he get on the beers? He's quite quiet. You yeah. don't hear much from him. No, he's a top boy. He, he's, <laughs> if, if, if you don't know him, he can come off as quite aloof. Um, but then once you break down those initial barriers, he's, um, he's a great bloke. Um, honestly, an amazing. Well, he's a great guy to have a beer with. Um, a few beers. He's not shy, um, <laughs> and he enjoys a night out as well. You just have to catch him on the right day and, and, and twist his arm, and he's keen. So no, he's a yeah. no, he's a great big bloke. What about um, Max Evans? I mean, he's absolutely ripped the smithere- smithereens. He must do some real damage. I, I don't know. He's got a girlfriend or something. You talking about the gym? Or with, with actually, <laughs> I'll leave that up to you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? He's ripped the smithereens. Yeah, he must do some real but damage. He, he, 
he's the he's the laziest human being I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Surely not. But his brother's the his brother's the exact same. They Just hated gone. training. They hate weights. They hated running. They hated doing everything during rugby, and they were the two most ripped blokes in the team. Um, <laughs> That's just a killer. Which, that's that's got to kill the, everyone. It's frustrating because everyone else tries their backsides off and they're fat and you've got cops <laughs> that are trying and they get nowhere near it and then you've got Max and Tom. But the only time I ever saw Max and Tom have a fight, it was the morning of a training and they both arrived, I think probably 10 or 15 minutes late, and they were having a screaming match because Max had eaten the cookies the night before that Tom was saving for his breakfast. <laughs> that was the kind of level that they were at of, um, you know, eating and taking care of themselves. They're just absolute freaks, genetically blessed. The dad's a professional golfer. He won the nine iron Brian, as he's known. He, um, his birthday today. he won the Swiss Open, I think, as a young bloke. All right. So a talented guy. And their mum was a sprinter and a swimmer from uh, from Durban in South Africa. Oh, for um, so genetically, they were they were blessed right from the start. You don't get but, many yeah. g- genetically blessed people from Scotland, but that sounds like they've uh, <laughs> they've really landed on their feet. Is there, yeah, they did well. I was going to say, I remember being back at uni. Obviously, it's it the game that probably is most memorable for me was when you guys beat Ireland away back in sort of twenty ten. What uh, yeah. what was what was the night out in Dublin like after that? <laughs> can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big. I think we ended up in a, a bar called Crystals in sounds, Dublin. Sounds high class, and, to be honest. And it was it was amazing. It was a it was a great year with a good couple of wins, and those are the kind of memories that will stick with you for the rest of your life. You know, being with a great group of people um, and achieving something that you weren't expected to do, going over to Croke Park and uh, and winning and doing something well, that was great. And, and obviously you had, you had a big you had a big part in that absolutely skinning three Irish rugby legends on your way to uh, on your way to the try line. That was uh, a pretty... yeah, there's a long behind me now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was men. Um, that year was also the year of the killer the killer bees. Uh, obviously John uh, captaining Scotland at the weekend and Kelly still cracking away at. Uh, at Saracens, do you think you three will ever come together again for a testimonial or something? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know a testimonial. It's, it's, it's just it's weird how, I don't know, Like I was really happy for John, very proud of him um, and getting the nod and being named skipper, and especially after having two or three years out where he was kind of dismissed by the Scottish coaches. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I just think it makes it even sweeter for him to come back and be captain after being left out for so long. It'll mean that he'll appreciate the moment even more. He's now, he's got a wife and two kids, two young boys, and for, for him to have them in the stadium and to have that moment and hopefully to have it again over the next few weeks, um, I felt really... Yeah, he's, just, play, he's playing out really of his really absolute... He's playing out of his skin as well. But he's, he's done it for the past 10 years. That's the, the crazy thing. He's been... Consistently, one of the best open sides in Europe for ten years. How, how did he? Um, how did he end up on that sort of um, Scottish hiatus? Was it just? Did it? Was he just out of favour, or what was going on? Uh, I don't. I think he had a debrief after a game that didn't go very well. Um, was that? I mean, there's a clash of personalities, or something went wrong. He never really like nothing from his side was ever really said. It was never yeah. like there was ever a problem. He didn't get asked back after a game. We finished the autumn test, and, and and that was them. He, he didn't get asked back, so it was under Scott Johnson, wasn't it? I think so, but I think I think Vern, you know, did his research. I think Vern called Regan King, uh, Reggie King, down at uh, the Scarlets, who he knew well from Claremont, and sort of asked about John's character and is it the kind of bloke that'd be good back in camp? And obviously, Regan said hundred percent yes. Yeah, and thankfully, you know, Vern welcomed them back and. I think he's right. done a great job since he's been back in the squad. He's been playing out of his skin, as we said, and I'm just really chuffed for him that it's been going well. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, listen, Johnny, that's been absolutely great. Really, we'll let you get back to your uh, back to your your good life down in the south of France, and hope that uh, favors change from <laughs> Bayonne towards the end of the season. Yeah, fingers crossed. And oh. if, you, um, if you fancy the trip out for a game or for a beer, just let us know. Yeah, we'd love to, mate. Love to. We'll get down there soon enough. 
All okay. right. Well, that was awesome. Um, great to hear some of his uh, his insight and his uh, good stories about the uh, some of the lads that are still playing for Scotland. He did mention actually offline that he was a really big fan of our quizzes. So, um, Alan, do you want to uh, to lead on? Well, after the disaster of my quiz two weeks ago, where I decided that Hamish Watson was uh, born in New Zealand, yeah. I've uh, decided to come back with a sort of new up-to-date quiz. Done my research, obviously. Um, so here we go. So, yeah, we chatted. They said that so Ryan Wilson made the most. No, no, I'm trying to shit. Anyway, Hugh Jones made the most yards uh, meters run for Scotland at the weekend. But what player on the pitch had the most meters run? Right. Second question. Just chat to a former Scottish number eight, or possibly could still be Scottish number eight. But when Scotland last beat Wales in 2007, who played number eight for Scotland? I'll leave you with that one. Third question is Warren Gatland, first Six Nations, was 2008. It's a pretty long career, nine years. But what, who were the five other coaches for the Six Nations team in 2008? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Leave that. So, yeah, five others. I mean, you got you got to get the Scotland one. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth question. One of the worst slash best rugby pitches in Scotland is at Mackey, where I had the great a couple of great times playing for the St Andrews Uni. What is the name of the Mackey pitch? <laughs> oh. I have no idea. <laughs> um, I played on it. I should know it. It's a classic venue. A couple of the best porter cabins I've ever seen. It's so bad. You have to go into town for the pub. <laughs> and the last question is who were the last three teams to win the Scottish Premiership? You lads got the answers? Yeah. Cool, right. So, first question. Who, what player made the most metres on Saturday? Uh, Jonathan Davies. Um, uh, Stuart Hogg. How could Stuart Hogg have made the most metres if Hugh Jones made the most metres <laughs> for Scotland? <laughs> no, you don't get to go. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Uh, uh, Reese Webb. Oh. Most meters done. Um, so there you go. Second question was what one was the second question? I don't. I don't know. You're making it. Was that the number eight question? Yeah, yeah, yeah number eight. Right. Yeah. So the number eight who started for Scotland in the 2007 win over Wales was David Callum. Oh, I, I was going to put that. I put Ali Hogg. I had Ali Hogg as well. Right, so the five coaches for the Six Nations teams in 2008, who do you have? Eddie O'Sullivan for Ireland. Boom. Oh, I've got Declan Kidney. <laughs> uh, I've got Nick Mallet for Italy. Yeah, Nick Mallet for Italy as well. Yeah, that's correct. Um, uh, Andy Robinson. I've got Brian Ashton. Brian Ashton's correct. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> um, well, the other one. So, Scotland, you know, it's Frank Haddon. Yeah, I had Frank Haddon as well. Yeah. Cool. And then, the, who was the French coach? I'm laughing myself here. Lee Evermont? I didn't have anything. <laughs> I was going to lie. I was going to lie, but I, don't, I didn't have anything. Yeah. Mark Lee Evermont. <laughs> Done. 1 0 to me. So, yes. Good stuff. So I think that puts you one up. So, one of the greatest amphitheatres in Scottish rugby, Mackey Academy, Stonehaven. Tell me, what is it called? What is that pitch called? I just put Stonehaven. (laughs) (laughs) It's... Oh, I don't know. It's so annoying. I don't know. I've got absolutely no idea. I put old Mackey's land, but I just... (laughs) I, 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 there was nothing really behind Wait, that. Give me, give me a clue. Give me the first, give me the first bit, and I'll get it. 
Red. Uh, red. <laughs> no, red coats, is it? Red cloak. Yes. Oh. <laughs> That's hard. Right. So you're one one nil up. So you got your one point up to Matt. Scott, last three Scottish Premiership winners. Who've we got? I've got Harriet's Air and Melrose. Harriet's Air and Curry. Uh uh-uh. Matt Haney takes it. Oh. It kills me that Harriet's are in there, but it is what it is. Sony Bums ain't won it since '98, mate. I mean, this this Stumel have won it for a fucking. <laughs> I don't even know when. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we don't want to win it. I reckon it's probably the thing. We spend too much money on sort of like former Scotland players as our coaches and we think that's going to get the job done. But um, okay, great quiz actually. Enjoyed that. Um, Right. What is our final thing? Yeah. So the Pro 12 um, obviously doesn't get much conversation or limelight during the Six Nations. Um, But it's been a pretty torrid time for Glasgow and Edinburgh. Glasgow have lost three on the spin. Edinburgh have lost three on the spin um, and Glasgow have now dropped out of their, their chances of getting into the playoffs are pretty much all but uh, over aren't they Alan you've been uh, you watched both the games of the weekend didn't you uh, yeah I didn't uh, watch parts of them um, and yeah you know the Glasgow team t- to be fair they've not had the easiest of opponents they've had Ulster Scarlets and Ospreys which sort of during this international season it's just it, it, they are just some pretty good teams you know you, you want to get those Italy's the Dragons yeah. and um, you could just see in the game on uh, Sunday that Glasgow just were missing a bit of class it was like Grayson Hart is fine is it Brandon Thompson Pete Horn's back but he's still like a little bit off match pace and there's just it all just looks a bit slow really yeah. there's not much cutting edge there Um but again, Scott Cummings is looking pretty good. If there's sort of a shining light coming out of this period, it's good that a guy like that is sort of getting a lot of game time. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are some good young players coming through. I think Nick Grigg, we've talked about before, still manages to play well. Um, good to see Rory Hughes back from injury as well. And, and Jamie Batty getting getting a game. Um, and young, young Brian. Um, I think it's slightly more disappointing with Edinburgh because they haven't had the most difficult of games. I mean, Cardiff Blues at home. That should be a win. I mean, fair enough, Cardiff Blues had a few of the internationals back, but if Edinburgh is serious about sort of challenging for higher on, or higher up the table next year, then Cardiff Blues at home um, really is a must win. And I think as well that they're sort of trying to build the, the audiences and attendances up at the stadium. So, you know, treat, treat the faithful to a win. Um, so I think that's, that's particularly disappointing um, for me. But are we happy with the trade-off of two Scotland international wins and uh, but the pro team sort of slipping down the tables? Yes, but I think the one thing that we, saw, we were talking about earlier is it's kind of looking like Glasgow aren't going to make the top four now. And it kind of means that they're putting all their eggs in the Champions Cup basket, which is great, but you've got to beat Saracens away, which is probably the hardest thing in Northern Hemisphere club rugby. Um, and if they do lose to Saracens, that's kind of the season over, for kind of 1st of April, which it just, I don't know, it's, it, especially for the players who are wanting to go in the lines, it just it doesn't put them in sort of a great place. What about all the Edinburgh players that are getting Lions games? Are they not looking for the shop window? <laughs> Look, if... Ben Tulis ain't going to New Zealand. I'll. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, yeah, the problem is the problem for Ben is that the, the lock is just such a competitive area. On a on a, on a traditional Lions year, he'd probably make it. Um, just go, going back to the Pro Twelve, I think there actually is a wider argument of whether you play these Pro Twelve games at the same time as an international weekend. They're just completely shorn of all their players and. I don't think it's really fair for the, the fans that have sort of bought season tickets to sort of see second-rate, second-string teams. Um, obviously, the Viva Premiership does it, but they've got enough depth and, and cash that they can afford to do it. Um, fair enough, it might sort of add a few more um, fixtures to the list, but I, I think it would be far better for the for the league if they, they had all their best players. That's just me. No, definitely. One player I was going to chat about was Grant Gilchrist. Remember he was like Scotland captain? 
And now he's on the bench for Edinburgh during an international window behind Fraser McKenzie and Ben Tooley. It's like, I don't really know what happened there because it was Vern that made him captain. He was on the bench in the, um, in the autumn as well. He definitely came off, uh, came off the bench a couple of times in the autumn. He just seems to have, I guess maybe just the, the Swinnows really just sort of nailed on in that sort of second row cover spot. Well, yeah, but he's, he's behind Tulis and Fraser McKenzie as well, which, like, they're not... They're, they're fine, but if you're good... He was, I mean, this guy was literally Scotland captain before he got injured. He was ahead of the Greys and was going to captain Scotland. Like, I don't understand what's happened. Maybe it's just sort of a series of injuries of, of men that he's sort of lost a lot of form, but it just it just seems quite sort of a strange predicament. Maybe it is one of these things that um, once you sort of get an injury and you just sort of struggle to come come back from it. But um, no, I mean, I hope, I hope he goes back. I, th- I always thought he was, a, he was a pretty good player, kind of industrious, but kind of one of these guys that seems to come across as quite a good sort of leader. What's the, what's the schedule this weekend? Any... Uh... Any games, or is there a bit of a break? Surely something's going on. I think there is, while Alan's just looking for the fixtures, um, we have Edinburgh Ospreys on, is that on a Saturday? Friday night, Friday night, sorry. And Glasgow are playing, we got that? <laughs> well, there's also the, there's the sevens as well, lads have gone out to Vegas. Uh, Glasgow against Newport Gwent Dragons at three o'clock at Scotston. So, I'll be good to pick up, I'm sure that, well, hopefully... Glasgow should pick up the win there. Maybe have a few of their internationals back, um, given the rest week. So hopefully that's a good game. Um, Edinburgh Ospreys, you never know with this Edinburgh team. They could pull it out of the bag with a few of their sort of heavy hitters again. Um, so that's something to look forward to this weekend. Yeah, I think if if we can get a win, obviously if we can beat the Dragons and Scarlets, get loose, loose to Leinster with sort of seven points behind, it's not unfathomable that we can get sort of back in the race. The problem is that we've still got a lot of big teams to sort of play in the running. But um, no, um, hopefully it should, that should be a Glasgow win. And yeah, Vegas Sevens. Saw Tommy B's out there. Um, but I saw the lads were having a wee helicopter ride around the Grand Canyon today. Just having a great time in Vegas. So yeah, good that. Yeah, best of luck to them. I mean, Tom Brown gets to go to Vegas rather than play against the Ospreys on a fr- on a on a Friday night. I mean, sign me up. That's yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, right, I think we're calling that a day now, guys. That was the last last few minutes. I think we tailed off there. I think we. I think, I think we can. I think we can all agree. And if you are still out there listening, thanks a, thanks a lot for that. And um, as a reward, how about a ten pound uh, a ten ten pound off a off a razor? Thistle at cornerstone.co.uk. Put in Thistle at checkout, £10 off. It's really worth it. And you get a great shaved face. But um, with that hard sell, hope you enjoyed the pods. Um, enjoy the Pro 12 uh, this weekend. And we will be back at you previewing the biggest Calcutta Cup, as Johnny Beatty says, in 34 years. So um, I'll see you later, guys. Cheers, guys. See you soon. See ya. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.